Glover standing by right now is the one and the only Sean Mooney. Who? Are you laughing, Sean? Leroy was different. He actually one time tried to shoot me. Mooney, everybody's got a price for the million dollar man. Did you just laugh, Sean? I get off the track here all the time. I think it would take probably $100,000 at least to bring us in for the Hall of Fame. I don't even have a computer in my house. I don't even have a smartphone, none of that stuff. Somebody calls me and says, Jim, here's your email by phone delivery. I, I gave this lady a note. It says, do you like me, yes or no? And she wrote in, maybe. I knew something was wrong then because... Uh, just the aura and the vibe. I can remember one of the ER people walking out, meeting me, and giving me the news. They got my shirt off, they got my jacket off, but the tie got knotted, and they just didn't take the tie off. So I'm laying there with my tie, and he saw an opportunity, and he just came up and, uh, you know, kind of got on my back and uh, strangled me with the tie. Hello, everybody, and welcome once again to Prime Time with Sean Mooney. Uh, you know, we have had some inspirational stories on this podcast before. But few can match Mark Miro, uh, a.k.a. Johnny B. Bad's story. Uh, one of the ways I can gauge that is by the response we get through your comments on Twitter and our other social platforms. And boy, did we get a response. Um, and I think for a number of reasons, and certainly not just for what Mark Miro accomplished in the ring, but I think even more so for what he did outside of the squared circle, as Gorilla Monsoon used to say. Uh, he was on top of the world. Uh, you, you know, you, you hear his podcast talking about all, all these things that came at him. Uh, you know, makes it to the WWE. Uh, he's married to this unbelievable, gorgeous woman. And uh, then it all comes crashing down. And he had dealt with drugs before. Uh, had uh, three overdoses, he talks about. So you would have thought at that point, when everything came crashing down, when he was talking about being under a pier on Christmas Day with nobody, he'd lost all these family members. Uh, his wife had left him, and you think, oh, he's going to crawl into a hole, and he's going to become uh, this horrible addict. That was not what happened to him. He, uh, from that point on, turned his life around and uh, found his true calling in the process, uh, helping at-risk youth all over the world now with his Champion of Choices campaign, absolutely making a difference. I don't question that for a second. You look at uh, a few of his videos and you will definitely agree. Uh, he's speaking to kids all over the country. Uh, sometimes as many as five times a day he's up on a stage. So if you'd like to find out more about his organization, uh, go to thinkpaz.org. And it's thinkpoz.org. I absolutely love talking with Mark. I hope our paths cross one day. We've never met in person, but I would absolutely, I'm putting that on the list because he is definitely somebody uh, I'd love to meet up with. Um, this week, We've got another great episode on the way. We finally tracked down OMG. And you know who I'm talking about. One man gang. The gentle giant, George Gray. Uh, one of the nicest people I ever met along the way in the uh, WWF slash WWE. A guy who um, had fantastic success uh, pretty much wherever he went. In the WCW and the WWE. Uh, he uh, really, uh, you're going to enjoy that conversation. Uh, before we get to it, though, not much to uh, discuss here at this point, folks, but I do want to remind everybody about our social platforms. If you want to get in touch with me, go to uh, at Primetime Mooney on uh, Instagram and Twitter. 
And uh, still, we put up a lot of information on our Facebook page, Primetime with Sean Mooney. And the YouTube channel, I just looked today, we're, all, we're getting close to 2,000, which is uh, awesome. We've got a few hundred to go, but uh, it's nice to see that folks are checking out our Facebook page. Uh, and as well, I mean, our YouTube page as well, our channel, as we call it. But um, if you'd like to also check out our, our, uh, our T-shirts, we've got some great T-shirts up on uh, ProWrestlingTees.com, but you can just go directly there. Just go to MooneyTees.com. MooneyTees.com. We'll hope you check it out. All right. Uh, let's get to it. Let's get to this conversation with One Man Gang. I mean, come on. We waited long enough. Ding, ding, ding. Well, folks, we have uh, waited a while to get this gentleman on the program. When I was with the WWF, uh, he just amazed me. I, I never saw anybody... Uh, that large, who could move so well in the ring, and uh, really a great, true superstar. George Gray, you knew him uh, better uh, back in the day as One Man Gang, and of course, Akeem, the African Dream. <laughs> George, how are you, my friend? I'm doing great. That was a really nice introduction you did for me, you know, so, well, yeah, yeah, you- that, was, uh, that, was, uh, that was a great time in WWF. Yeah, I tell you, um, I know you're in Louisiana now, and uh, I had the chance to uh, meet your your wonderful wife Mary when you guys were at uh, one of the events that we're at recently. And um, I know uh, you're living in Louisiana. You guys, uh, I almost lost your house. Are you guys still in that house after it was flooded? Oh yeah, we uh, we rebuilt. I mean, the flood happened uh, two years ago, and. Uh, you know, it took in four foot of water all through the house. So basically, you know, from four foot down, just about everything was destroyed. And then just sitting in the water for, you know, like a week, the water just wasn't received. So, you know, pretty much you had to strip everything out. So, you know, but, uh, you know, we, we rebuilt. So it's all good now. I'm sitting in a nice air-conditioned uh, living room in my recliner, you know, talking to you. So we all survived. Nobody was hurt. All the animals survive, you know, so, you know, life carries on. Well, I know you were, you were blown away at the time because, uh, George, you know, and you're still so incredibly humble. It, it, it's, uh, you're the same guy that I remember back in the day, but I, I know when that happened, um, people, you know, stepped up and, and were, uh, I don't know if you're, um, I, one of your relatives started a GoFundMe that I don't even think you knew about and, and you were just blown away by uh how people just wanted to help yeah that was insane i just uh i couldn't believe it i mean it was just incredible to me that people would do that you know so and i you know when i'm at a signing or something somebody come up you know and they say well you know i I donated or whatever i always make sure you know whatever you want you know you want to autograph your ears or whatever you know i give a big hug or whatever Mm -hmm. man it's just it's just crazy how people are you know how they come through on the things like that. It's, it's just unbelievable. I, I would never have thought of, you know, I'm thinking, you know, I hadn't been on the TV, you know, except, well, I guess when I say TV, I guess network, I mean, they do have the uh, network show thing, WWE network. So yeah. I guess I am on it, you know, so, but actual real TV show, I hadn't been on in probably, you know, 20 years or more. So, you know, it's just amazing people even remember, you know, it, that's really what amazes me, you know, that, so many years go by, and then wrestling fans just still remember. It's, it's just crazy. 
Yeah, and and when you think about it, and, and uh, I want to get to uh, you know kind of your beginnings, but um, how much the uh, the world of professional wrestling has brought to your life? I can't imagine when you were a kid that you could have ever thought that uh, you would have experienced all the things you did. Oh no, of course not. I mean, I you know growing up as a as a wrestling fan, you know, when I got old enough to really understand you know watch it and understand it a little bit i mean I, I didn't really know anything about it you know i wasn't smart to business i was just a normal fan and went to the arena there in my little town in spartanburg south carolina you know and i grew up on the atlantic championship wrestling which was jim crockett promotions and and of course you know once i discovered wrestling i said man and i went and seen it live and I said, this is what I got to do for, you know, for my living. I got to, I got to do this. Yeah. It's incredible, you know, to, and then just, you know, just by, uh, just luck, I guess, or however you want to say it, things worked out. And then, you know, step by step, the progress happened. And, and I actually was able to uh, live my dream, you know, of being, when I was a kid saying that I would be able to do this, you know. Well, tell us a little bit about, uh, how you grew up in, in uh, South Carolina. What, what, uh, uh, for people who really don't even know that part of the country or, or, uh, what it was like for you as a kid. Yeah. I mean, you know, I just, I, I guess I grew up like, you know, like any other kid, I wasn't well off and wasn't poor either, I guess. But, uh, my, I was a, you know, only child. My, I only had a mom who raised me, didn't have a dad, I guess, uh, you know, whatever happened before I can even remember, I don't know what happened between that, but I was raised as the only child. So I was pretty much, uh, left to my own devices, you know, I guess I call it latch key, you know, once I got a little older, 10 years old or so, I was pretty much, uh, she had the, you know, a job, she had to work, so I was pretty much left to my own devices, so, you know, and just raised that way, and uh, once I discovered wrestling, we didn't have all the fancy cable channels like you have nowadays, so Saturday was my wrestling day, got to watch it two times, you know, uh, midday, Mid-Atlantic would come on, and then at 11 o'clock at night, it would come on again, you know, from a different different station. So that was like my my biggest day was Saturday, get to watch championship wrestling. So were you were you a big kid when you were younger? Because, you know, some of us, I mean, I was, I went into high school, I was five feet tall. And I'm not saying I turned into a giant, but I did, uh, you know, grow quite a bit later in life. But were you, were you always a big kid? Oh, yeah, always, uh, always the largest largest person in the class if you i have uh like a a group shot of elementary school every year you take like a big group shot of the whole class and right. i was always you can see me in the back i was the biggest tallest one of everybody so i always <laughs> had the always had the size you know so yeah. that wasn't some something i really had to worry about like some guys you know when you try to become a professional wrestler you know they have to put size on I already had the height and the body size itself. So I was lucky in that aspect. Yeah. But were you, um, a lot of times when you're, when you're that large as a young kid, you know, it's, it's hard to be, um, you know, to be able to handle your weight, you know, to be, uh, athletically gifted. Were you a good athlete? When you were young, or were you just too big to before you I, really? You know, I played uh, junior high school football and things like you know like that. I never really did any much else. I try. I played a little. Tried to play baseball during the summer on a little uh, 
league they had there uh, in my little town I lived at, but I was just horrible at it. And uh, rode, the, rode the pine most of the time, so uh, it just wasn't for me. I didn't have the, uh, I, I guess I didn't have the speed and things like that for, for uh, to really do very well in sports like that. So, uh, you know, I mean, I, I guess you could say I was, you know, I guess I was athletically gifted. I just didn't ever really, really realize it, you know, until uh, until years later when uh, you know I got into professional wrestling, uh, and that was. It's like you know. Once you get, once I got into that, I said, "This, you know, this is what I was born to do." It was just given that it, this was my life. This is what it was meant for me to do. You know, mm-hmm. first time I got in the ring, I just felt so comfortable. I wasn't nervous. It was just a, a normal, you know, thing that came to me. I don't even, you know, it's hard to explain, really. No, I've heard that uh, from several several people that uh, they. It's like they they found a home. Um, but what was, uh, you know, you said you were a fan watching, uh, when did that start to change? Uh, did someone approach you and said, Hey, uh, you know, I think you might, uh, do well in this or did you pursue Oh yeah, exactly. That's pretty much about how it happened when I was, uh, I started, uh, when I was 16 years old, it was like, you know, back in those days it was now they call it independence. We were called alcohol wrestling cause you know, they would try to run shows without getting licensed and. Right. wrestlers wouldn't be licensed by the commission or anything. So they call it outlaw wrestling, you know, against, but it was just, you know, just local guys, small organization, and they would run shows at armories or different places like that, gymnasiums and places like uh, South Carolina, North Carolina, and, and Georgia. And basically that's what I did for years, you know, and just uh, what does not make any money at, of course, you know, so. You know, if you got a big, uh, you know, $10 or $20 payoff for the night, you know, he was like, wow, man, this is great. But uh, that was far and in between. It usually was like $5 or something like that, you know. So, wow. But to me, the, the, you know, to me, it wasn't the money at that time, you know. Then it was just, man, I'm getting in a wrestling ring. I'm I'm actually getting in a ring, a real wrestling ring, you know. It was just, uh, I look back now, it was a great training ground to uh, yeah. hone my you know, to be able to hone my talent, you know, instead of being thrown right in the deep end with sharks for years, I was able to just take my time and, you know, and go in the ring and, and get ready for years later, you know? So, you know, it, it all worked out good for me. So, uh, really who was, I mean, that you're right. I mean, I, I imagine that that was just a great training ground, but what would you consider, you know, that was kind of your, I guess your first break or when somebody who was, really serious in the wrestling business approached you and you thought, okay, you know, maybe, maybe I can do this. Well, yeah, uh, uh, I always thought I could do it. You know, I just didn't know how to do it. I always thought I could do it, but, uh, like I said, from 16 and then, uh, 1980, uh, a friend of mine, uh, Jay Eagle was going to Lexington, Kentucky from South Carolina to go to a TV taping, for the Poffos, they they ran their own organization called ICW International Championship Wrestling. Right. It was a uh, you know a Macho Man Randy Savage, Lanny, and his dad Angelo. You know they they owned and ran the company. You know, so they were going up there to do a TV taping in Lexington, Kentucky, and and I just I wasn't booked on the show. I just said, hey, you got a spot in your vehicle? I'll take the ride with you. So I took the ride with them, and uh, once they got to TV tapings, you know, Randy asked my friend, uh, 
uh, Eagle said, who is that a big guy that came with you? And they said, oh, it's, you know, George, blah, blah, blah. He works, you know, and all that. So, And then uh, uh, Randy came over and started talking to me and asked me would I be interested in working for them, you know. So, you know, would, I, would you be interested in coming here for us? And, uh, you know, I said, well, you know, I'll have to get back to you on it, you know. And uh, sure enough, it ended up a few months later. Everything worked out, and I went, uh, you know, left my home in South Carolina, never been away from home, you know, so went back and had a big discussion with my mom, you know, because like I said, I was, she was a single parent, that was a big deal, you know, to leave home. Yeah. So I just, uh, I, you know, I packed up a few uh, clean underwears and my wrestling gear, <laughs> and, uh, and next time they went up there to do TV, I wasn't driving, I could, we couldn't afford an automobile, so I, I went up there, you know, with my friend. Uh, Jay Eagle again, but this time they just left me there, you know. So I moved in with uh, first about the first three weeks. I lived with Macho Man in his house, uh -huh. so I was I was a pretty good experience. But <laughs> but uh, yeah, I stayed there for like two years. With you know working their little company ICW, it wasn't making no wasn't making no million dollars. But I mean it was you know they had a full company, they had TV and everything, and we worked uh, pretty much every night of the week. So. You know, so for me, that was like a dream come true. Like I was, a, I'm actually getting paid. I'm getting, I'm making a, a real living doing this. So, uh -huh. you know, that's actually where it kicked off for me. Yeah. Did you and Randy, uh, did, did uh, you guys have a close relationship throughout everything, you know, that happened through, right through the WWF? Oh yeah. Yeah. I was, I mean, uh, as soon as we met back up in WWF, it was, you know, it was yeah, I never had, Union. you know, you know, Randy was just what he basically was, he, as you probably know, he was what he was, you know, yeah. I mean, what you saw on camera was pretty much the way he really was. I mean, there's no change in that, but I never really had no troubles with him at all. I've heard stories about guys having trouble with him. He didn't want to do this or that, but I, I, I even when he was world champion, he, I, I assume he went to Vince and asked to work with me quite a bit because, you know, I, I worked with him a lot. Yeah. When I was up there as as uh, gang and as our team, so you know it was easy, but yet not so easy because he wanted he was so meticulous about the matches and uh, yeah. he was like grease lightning. I mean, he had, before you could even move, he was on top turnbuckle coming off with a double fist or whatever, whatever. You know, he was like a, a thousand miles an hour, and it was. You know, it was pretty hard to keep up with. You know, the match was so laid out at times. I was, I was like, man, I can't remember this. And he would just, he would, he would carry me through the match. You know, the whole match to the finish, yeah. which was usually, you know, the the big elbow drop or a lot of times we do count outs or disqualification or something like that. So, you know, I, I so you know, like I said, I guess from ICW days he trusted me, and uh, I guess it went. Hey, paid off for me in WWF also. So that was good for me. Yeah. You know, George, I don't, um, I don't know what your peak weight was, but I think you, you probably wrestled, I don't know, 450, somewhere in that neighborhood. Oh yeah. Yeah. Constantly over, constantly over 400 for yeah. sure. So, uh, I mean, you could have gotten away with, uh, you know, just being this big, large, large mass in the ring. But, uh, did you have a, did, were you consciously saying, you know, I'm not going to be that guy. I'm going to be able to move in there. I'm going to, you know, uh, learn these moves. I'm going to, because uh, like I said, at the top of this is that I was always amazed how people like you, there were there, and there weren't many, 
you know, John Tenta was another one. Uh, even Yokozuna could he could that guy could do things in the ring that I just was amazed at. Did you make a conscious decision early on in your career to say, you know, I'm not going to be just this big giant guy in the ring lumbering around and, and uh, knocking people down? Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah, for sure. I wanted to have, you know, real, you know, matches. I wanted to have some excitement and things, you know, in and out and up and down and things like that. I always, you know, yeah, I always loved the guys that could, you know, do high spots like the head, flying head scissors and, mm. and all that kind of stuff. You know, I always wished that I could have done it, but, you know, <laughs> there was just no way I could do that. You know, those really beautiful drop kicks and things like that and, and, the thing, uh, the thing off the top ropes and things, the corners, you know, I had bad vision. You know, I wear glasses. My vision wasn't the greatest, and yeah. I just couldn't take a chance on, you know, mismeasuring a, a elbow drop or something, you know. So I kind of eliminated top rope stuff just because of that reason, you know. So, But, uh, yeah, I always tried to, uh, you know, even though I was a big guy and, you know, I tried to keep my cardio, even even at a heavy weight, I tried to keep my cardio up. and. Uh, go in there and try to have kind of normal matches, almost like Andre. Andre always wanted to have normal matches, you know. He loved to mm -hmm. go down and sell, and he, he wanted to have normal matches. And I was, I'm not comparing myself to Andre, but, I mean, as a big guy, you know, like some big guys, I'm not saying anything bad against anybody, but like Big John Studd, he didn't, uh, he wasn't the most mobile person in the ring. He kind of, you know, he, he didn't really want to take too many bumps, you know. So yeah. I didn't want to be that way. So when you uh, really started to take off, like you talked about your your early days and uh, you know with the ICW and um, then you kind of started this uh, went through a bunch of these territories that were very recognized. It wasn't outlaw wrestling anymore when you were you know you were with the, the NWA and Mid South and and eventually uh, the WCW. Uh, how did that raise the bar on what you were able to do in the ring and as far as starting to get noticed? Oh, I was, I mean, every territory I went to, it got better and better, you know. Yeah. It started in Mid-South uh, in the early 80s, 82. You know, uh, Bill Watts took a chance on me. I, I was really, uh, you know, coming from ICW up there in uh, Kentucky's with the Poffos. He didn't really, he didn't know me from Joe Schmo, you know, but he took a chance on me and brought me in. And uh, he basically, he's the one that gave me the one-man gang name. Uh, when I was in ICW, I was working under the name Crusher Broomfield uh, for the Poffos. Uh, you know, there's a whole story behind that, which I ain't going to would be another hour. But, <laughs> but uh, I went to Mid-South, and <laughs> I went, uh, uh, went to Mid-South. And what happened with that was uh, uh, Ernie Ladd, you remember Ernie the Big Cat Ladd? Oh, yeah, yeah. So Ernie Ladd was friends with Angelo Poffo. So uh, Ernie, you know, worked out a deal where he would come up and, and do some matches, and he ended up his matches was against me. Uh, at that time, I was, I'd turned babyface against Savage, you know. So Ernie Ladd came in and worked against me, and uh, we had about a four match, different uh, four matches across a different area, you know, different arenas, the bigger arenas. And then uh, he went back to uh, Bill Watts, who he was working for at that time, you know, as a booker and agent or whatever. And uh, he told Bill, you know, about me. So uh, Ernie Ladd kind of, he spoke up for me. And, and then that's what got me into uh, Mid-South. That's when they brought me into Mid-South. And, and 
took a chance on me there, and that worked out. And then uh, after I went through Mid-South, uh, Bill booked me out of that. Then I went to uh, uh, Memphis, CWA, uh, I just say Memphis Wrestling, I guess. But uh, oh, that didn't work out too good. Uh, man, the payoffs, so once I got there, you know, the payoffs were just horrible. The money was just horrible. I was basically starving to death. And uh, they wouldn't let me work as one-man gang. They switched me back to Crusher Broomfield because the uh, TVs used to cross over. The ICW TV would cross over with the Memphis television in their area. So they said, well, we got to have you back as Crusher Broomfield. People mm-hmm. know who you are. So they put me back as Crusher Broomfield, basically. So Lawler and Dundee and all them guys could beat you know, Crusher Broomfield from ICW, you know, like their opposition, you know. So I stayed there maybe two months, and then I called Bill back up. I said, you know, and he asked me, how's it going? I said, man, it's horrible here. I'm, you know, basically, you know, starved me to death. And he said, just hold on one second, you know, like, let me do, make some telephone calls for you. Uh-huh. So I waited another day or so. He called back and said, uh, pack your bags. I got you booked in Mid-Atlantic Championship Wrestling, Jim Crockett. And I was, you know, for me, I was like, uh, that was a dream come true because that was my home, right. home area where I grew up, you yeah. know. So yeah. I went to Mid Atlantic Championship Wrestling back to as the one man gang, and and from then on it was good all the way the rest of my career. No more problems after that. You know? So where did so where did, from, uh, where did one man gang uh, first come about? That was Mid South. When I went into Mid South in the early. Uh, 1981 or so, uh, 80, I mean, 82 probably. Uh, what they did, they, when they brought me in, they would, uh, you know, bring me from Lexington, Kentucky. They'd bring me into a show. So they were doing like, uh, the, uh, New Orleans show down in New Orleans at the municipal auditorium. And the main event might be Dusty Rhodes working somebody, whoever, you know, whatever the top hill was. And they would bring me in the building and uh, just hide me in the back. And then they would have a queue ready, and they would give me the queue to run in. I would run in to run down the ring, and I'd just squash him, you know. I'd <laughs> hammer him and, and bust him up and, and leave, just leave him laying, basically. And they'd bring a stretcher out, and they'd stretcher him out. And uh, I did this probably two or three different shows, you know, with the top baby faces. I think uh, uh, Murdoch, Big Captain Redneck, Dick Murdoch was one. I did it with him. I did it with uh, Dusty. I did it with DBIC, uh, a couple of guys like that. So basically what they was doing, they would take those little film clips, and, you know, they had the cameras there to film it, and they just pretty much put them as a montage type little VTR thing, videotape replay thing, and they showed it back on the TV, and they was, you know, doing the uh, commentating over it, and then, just Bill, Bill, so he's like a one-man gang, and uh, that's basically where we stuck. Stuck. <laughs> and from then on, uh, when I first got there, when I first TV tapings, I didn't even have a name. You know, it was basically Bill was doing the commentating with Barry Pierce at the announcer's table, and me and that guy was at the ring, and he was, where did that boy find this monster? He's gigantic, and didn't really, you know, didn't really have a name. Then he started slowly and then once he said that that's what he that's what it went with from then on you know every uh-huh. time i appeared on tv oh, there's one man gang akbar's got him a one man gang a one man gang is destroying everybody you know <laughs> so then akbar a scandal akbar you know interviews look at this i brought in one man gang and then from then on it just stuck that's what it was from then on yeah. 
And I was, I was always amazed. Yeah, yeah, but I was amazed that you were able to hold on to that when you came into the WWF because you know. I know, I know, I know. Usually they change everything, right? Yeah, Yeah, he wants to own the name because he wants to come up with something that's going to be his. And so how? Well, he did with well, he did with Akeem, but you know, but uh, one man gang. uh, When I went there to meet with him, you know, this was that I was there. See, well, I went through you know more territories. I went to. Uh, Mid-Atlantic, I finished there, I went to Florida Championship Wrestling, working for Dusty down there. Yeah. Then I went back to, you know, I'd go back to Mid-South, back and forth. I went to Japan three or four times, and finally ended up over in Texas uh, with Devon Eriks for a year, a couple of years, and uh, then went back to Bill Watts. Uh, he had changed it to UWF, Universal Wrestling Federation. Instead of Mid South, for whatever reason, trying to, I guess, trying to make his uh, company sound bigger, you know, like yeah. World Wrestling Federation, yeah, Universal Wrestling Federation. So the same, basically, same company, and I ended up being their world champion. So he, he, uh, he took the Terry Gordy was the first UWF world champion, heavyweight title holder. And I was the second one. I, I beat Terry Gordy, and I became the uh, Universal Wrestling Federation heavyweight champion. So I was working over there. I mean, we was going everywhere. We was going to California. We was going to, you know, all over the place. And uh, uh, so, that same situation is Ernie Ladd again. I mean, it's amazing once you meet somebody how things work out. Yeah. Ernie Laws was up in New York helping Vince, I guess, maybe behind the scenes or whatever. I'm not sure. But he told him about me again, you know. And so uh, Ernie, Ernie Ladd, you know, called me a couple of times and said, uh, yeah, hey, kid, you need to be talking. You need to talk to this Vince McMahon. He's uh, He wants to, you know, use you, blah, blah, blah. You can make you some great money and this and that, you know. And I'm like, well, you know, I'm the world champion here. I'm doing great. I ain't, I don't have any complaints. You know, so he's like, well, you you need to talk to this man. It could be good for you. So I just kind of put him off, you know, for months. You know, I just put Jeez. him off. He kept calling and calling. <laughs> really? Then finally, you know, yeah, yeah. I mean, you got. I mean, I was at the time we're you're so involved in what you're doing. I did WWF didn't mean anything to me. I didn't know what WWF was from nothing else. It was just you know. Uh, I didn't know. I had no idea he even had a WrestleMania. I didn't know what it was, you know, because <laughs> I'm just so busy doing what I'm doing, yeah. you know. And we're wrestling, uh, yeah, we're wrestling, uh, you know, usually nine times a week. We're doing doubles on Saturday, doubles on Sundays, you know, plus all uh, the rest of the week, every night, a different city or wherever. So, you know, yeah, I, you I can't keep uh, yeah. Yeah, but aren't you hearing? Aren't you hearing things from the boys saying, you know, they got this thing going up in New York that WrestleMania man? No, no, not at all. Not, not really. No, really. Nothing. Nothing. Because <laughs> we're all just involved in our own thing, you know. It's, it's just you just don't hear that. Yeah. You can't watch the TVs. You don't see what's happening on TV because you don't have time to watch the TVs. Yeah. You know, none of us. You know, we didn't look at no magazines or nothing like that because you know we just didn't. Uh, Another thing we just wasn't interested in, no, so it was never, never brought up to any of us. I mean, we knew that Trunkyard Dog had went there, and thing. we, we, you know, guys knew that they were supposedly making great money. Paul Orndorff had left and went there. Junkyard Dog had went there. Uh, Doug had went there. You know, we knew supposedly they were making good money, but we didn't know for a fact that it was good money. 
Yeah. You know, plus I was doing I was doing pretty well as the world champion for Bill Watts. He took care of me, you know, really well. So, you know, I, I was happy in my position. Yeah, you. So I wouldn't you, even. Leave. Yeah, but you put in you paid your dues. Uh, yeah, that's about a span of ten years before you uh, went to the World Wrestling Federation in '87. And is there a danger? Oh, yeah, there? yeah, yeah. I don't know if there's a danger there because. Uh, like you said, you're a world champion. I, I assume at that time for you, that was, that was big money that you were making. And you look at somebody like JYD, who was gigantic in mid South and he goes, right. up to, he goes up to the WWF and he's was basically a, a mid Carter for the, the, the majority of his career uh, was, I, I don't know if you ever thought that deeply about it, but was there a concern about that? That you say, here, I'm, I'm going to these territories. I'm. I'm on top and you go up there and maybe it's the, you know, it's the big leagues. It's the big show, but you may get lost in the shuffle. Yeah. But see, uh, yeah. Uh, you know, I never really thought about that, but uh, when you say, you know, big shows or whatever, you got to remember um, Bill was doing Superdome shows doing 20, 25,000 people, yeah. you know? So, I mean, you got to think at that time in the eighties, I mean, you do a house of 25,000. That's a big show too, you know? Yeah. Sure. Uh, I mean, we was working in Florida. Uh, Dusty would do the uh, stadium, Sundome Stadium down there and do 30,000 people. So it wasn't like, you know, it wasn't like I hadn't already, you know, seen big shows. Uh, I, the big show thing didn't worry me at all. You know, I didn't really think about it. Yeah. You know, so once, uh, we, uh, uh, so what happened was uh, uh, finally, you know, after all this time, you know, Ernie said, well, you know, uh, he calls me up on telephone and says, uh, talking to me and says, well, I have Vince on the other line. He would like to, you know, Vince McMahon on the other line. He would like to speak to you, hmm. you know? And, uh, I said, oh, okay, it's no problem. You know, we'll, I'll talk. I didn't know Vince, you know, to me, Vince McMahon was just another promoter to me. I didn't know him from nobody. <laughs> you know, I was just, <laughs> I know it's now strange, but yeah. I just didn't know. I didn't really know him from anybody yeah. else. You know, I never, you know, never bumped into him anywhere and, Never worked for him before, so uh -huh. but so he got on the telephone with me with that you know he always has that real deep business voice you know yeah and uh, you know he gives me that Vince McMahon voice you know uh, yeah I'd, I'd, I'd be interested in uh, you know uh, possibly uh, using you in the World Wrestling Federation uh, I'd like to fire you up and we have a meeting and and talk it out and uh, do you have any days off coming up and just just luckily that. Like the, I think the two days after that, I, I had like a couple of days free, and I told him, I said, "Yeah, I got these days free," and he goes, "Oh, that's great! I'd like to fly you and your wife to New York, and uh, you know, I'll have a limousine pick you up and bring you to Connecticut, wherever it was. It wasn't like the big giant building is now; it was right. a yeah. smaller, you know, smaller facility, as you know. Mm -hmm. So yeah, I, I said, okay, that's fine, no problem. He said, oh, we'll, we'll talk about it when you get here. So. Sure enough, tickets came, you know, he sent tickets and everything was here, and and me and my wife flew to uh, New York. They had a limousine right there waiting for us, you know, that drove us out there, and I went in the office and, started, you know, just met him there and had a meeting with him, and, uh, you know, I just uh, basically asked me what was I making, for, you know, for Bill and UWF, and I told him what I was making. He said, I can guarantee, you know, I can guarantee I'd do you better than that, you know, so. He said, uh, we don't sign any contracts here that have any money figures on it, but, 
you know, I will, you know, I guarantee you that I can take care of better than that, you know. Mm-hmm. And I said, well, that's, that's good. And I asked him, how do you run your tours? You know, I, cause I knew that, you know, had a lot of guys. I said, how do you run your tours? And he pulled his book out, him, and I think it was Pat Patterson was there. Yeah. And they sat down with me with the book and they explained how they do it and this and that, you know, whatever. And just had a, just had a regular business meeting. It wasn't, uh, you know, just talking, wrestling and things like that. And I told, you know, uh, Pat Patterson, I told him, man, I, you know, you, you was one of the best ever. You know, I loved watching you and all that. I was like a mark, you know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. and, and then, uh, well, it was over with, you know, once I got ready to leave, you know, he said, you want to stay here and do some shopping? I'd be on me. And I said, well, I really don't have time. I got to get back, you know, for, you know, get back to to Bill because I got a show coming up. And uh, I also, had, when I got there, I had these, you know, the, uh, of course, with Bill Watts, it's blood every night almost. So my head was all scarred up, you know. Yeah. And he looked at that, he goes, Oh, you won't have to worry about that in the World Wrestling Federation. Yeah, I said, Well, that'd be nice. Because, <laughs> you know, for my whole career, it was like uh, every night you're bleeding. So when well, I got ready to leave, we shook, hands. I, we shook hands. And I said, Well, uh, I think you might have bought a wrestler. And I said, uh, He said, That's good. That's good to hear, you know. He says, One Man Gang. I like that name. I can see it on the marquee, One Man Gang. I'm going to keep that name. Wow. I said, oh, well, so, you know, <laughs> I didn't even think, you know, I wasn't even thinking about changing it. I, you know, it didn't even cross my mind that he would change it, you know, but, you know, he said, no, nah, I'm going to keep it just as it is. I love that. And sure enough, uh, uh, went back to UWF and then, uh, 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 another, probably another month or so went by and, uh, I lost the. I, I gave him my notice, you know, told him where I was going. It was no big deal to him, you know. They kind of figured it was going to happen, maybe. I don't know. But I gave him my notice, so I had to drop the uh, UWF title to uh, Big Bubba Rogers. It later became Big Boss Man. That was another, what a coincidence, huh? Yeah, that's amazing. And, and him and I ended up being tag team partners, but I lost the UWF title to him at a house show, and then... Probably a week later, you know, I started in the uh, World Wrestling Federation. Yeah, well, it really is a, a, a family. Uh, if you think about it, you think about all the guys that you knew during that, you know, those that previous 10 years when you started, you know, all those different guys that you had uh, worked with. You mentioned, you know, Ted DiBiase and, uh, you know, Coco Beware was down in those. Uh, the, uh, yeah. Uh, uh, and uh, Jim Duggan. Jim, Jim Nighthard with yeah, Jim Nighthard yeah. was uh, there. I mean, it's, it's amazing the the pe- all the people that would end up at the same place. You know, yeah. were you were you amazed? Did it blow you away though? When you because in '87 the place was rocking. I mean, it was uh, you know Hulkamania, as they say, was definitely running wild. But just uh, you know going to these these house shows and these TV tapings, what was it uh, like for you to? Uh, you know, you were used to big shows. Like you said, you'd been in arenas where they had 25,000, but what was it like when you first arrived in the WWF and how you took that all in? Uh, I just, you know, I tell people, you know, I tell people that to me, it was just a, another place to wrestle. It, it wasn't, really? I, I wasn't, uh, you know, it, I wasn't worried about it. I wasn't nervous about it. I, it was just another arena it was another place to step in the ring and and do what i love to do you know and that's all it was i just it didn't even cross my mind that 
well, this is World Wrestling Federation. It was just another place to wrestle. Yeah. That's all it was to me, you know. I didn't have any trouble at all, you know, stepping right in there and doing what I had to do. Was it a different level, uh, though, with all these guys? I mean, it, these were, I think that roster at the time was always between somewhere like 50 and 60 different superstars. Uh, that right, were, that was really a huge, pushed. they had a yeah. huge roster of talent, but, yeah. uh, you know, I didn't, uh, you know, it's just, uh, the thing was, once you got there, you really, what could you do? Yeah. I mean, you knew they was going to, yeah, I knew right away they was going to, you know, use me good at, at the beginning because they're setting yeah. me up to work against Hogan. So yeah. basically it's just going to be, you know, most of your matches are going to be squash matches or Stay on your feet. Don't get you. Don't get your tights dirty. We're saving you from Hogan. Don't take any. Don't take any big bumps and things like that. Save all that for Hogan. That's basically what I was told. You know. Yeah. So for the first few months, that's all it was. It was just easy matches. Really wasn't doing too much of anything. You know. So that's basically what it was. It was even even when I finally got big with Hogan, it didn't mean nothing to me. It was just. <laughs> Really? It's just another match. I, it really didn't affect me in any way at all. I just carried on just like I would anybody else. And, you know, it really, I I don't know. I, I mean, I, now you look back on it, I guess, because, you know, you're just doing what you're doing nightly every night, every night of the week, and you don't, you don't realize how strong the TV is. You know, this TV yeah. is being seen by millions of people. You don't even, it don't even cross your mind. You don't realize that. Maybe if I did, I'd probably have been so scared I wouldn't be able to go out there. But you don't even realize. You just go out there, do what you have to do, move on to the next city, do what you do there, move to the next city, to the next city, on and on and on, a never-ending, uh, basically a never-ending tour, it seemed like, you know. So you really didn't have time to even sit down and think about it, to be honest. Yeah, because, uh, you know, that... that uh life on the road was brutal back then they were doing all oh, so many house shows you guys would be on the road you know traveling in these different areas was that a huge adjustment for you i mean i know you were used to going to oh yeah that places, was that but... was probably the biggest that was the biggest adjustment i had to do was the uh travel part yeah. i was in the territory you know I, I drove a vehicle you could drive a car and a lot of shots you could drive and come back home that same night you know or yeah take your family with you, take your wife with you, you know, and stay over whatever, you know, but once I got there, it was a total, uh, you know, total different way of doing things. It was jet planes every single day, you know, and yeah. you couldn't bring your family out on the road with you. So you was, you know, you're away from home at, uh, sometimes 30, 40, 50 days in a row before you get back to your house. Wow. It was just that was a that was the hardest thing for on me that there was, and that you know that almost killed me. I was like, "Holy cow! I can't believe this!" And uh, I wasn't the only guys like that. I think everybody was that way. Yeah, how'd you get through it? Did you have guys that you got you close just, to? Uh, it, well, it's just just your job. You just <laughs> you just keep doing it, and you know, and you uh, basically do your countdown. You know, I got. Oh. I got 20 days left, you know, each day oh. goes by. I got 15 days left. <laughs> I know it sounds horrible, but that's, you know, it's just the way it was. And then oh. once, even when you got to go home, you only have three days, you know, you go home for three days, maybe four days if you're lucky, you know, basically to wash clothes, you go home and see your family for a little bit. And then you're right back out on tour again, starting all over again. 
And what's was, what's the mentality that you, yeah? What was the mentality that uh, you know you you got to ride this as long as you can because you're making uh, really good money. I mean, you're not going to make better anywhere else. And then uh, no, no, you weren't going to make better anywhere else. But it was, I mean, for you know, for the time you're away from home, I mean, you know, the, they they should have paid you, you know, really well for the amount of time you was away from home. That's the main thing. It really wasn't the matches themselves. Matching themselves wasn't that hard on me. It was just uh, the time away from home that was the hard part. Yeah, and getting from one place to the other every night. Yeah, well, that, I mean, that's just part of, you know, that's just part of professional wrestling, getting from one place to the other. But ours was all airports and flying, being squashed up in coach, you know, which killed me. And, uh, you know, because oh, only yes. three people had first class tickets. That was uh, Andre. A million dollar man and the world champion yeah. was the only three that was issued first class tickets. The rest of the crew had to squash up in the back, or if you could, you know, if you had some points or, you know, you could get upgraded some way. But, you know, yeah. you got to imagine everybody squashing the back, me and uh, uh, earthquake and tugboat. <laughs> somebody gets stuck <laughs> in that middle seat. <laughs> I know, and poor business people on in flights, they used to just stare at us like in shock. It was, <laughs> Don't make me sit next to him. Oh, that's funny. exactly, exactly. Who was it you were close to on the road? Who did you who did you hang with? Uh, you know, I, me and Slick probably was the closest. I didn't really hang with anybody, but it was me and me and Slick probably traveled the most together because we kind of had the same habits, which isn't really anything. I was, you know, I didn't drink, I didn't do anything, anything, uh, any drugs or nothing. And, and Slick was the exact same way because he was a minister, you know? Yeah. So we yeah, both, a lot of people don't realize that he was for real. And even, and even back then, right, exactly. I, you know, even back then he was, uh, flying his trade as a minister back then, you know, and, and, but uh, him and I, you know, traveled and and split rooms and stuff because just our habits was the same. Yeah. You know, we had we had a couple of you know we had some issues with a couple of guys wanting to ride with us, and we wouldn't allow we didn't want them riding with us because we knew they had bad habits. You know, uh-huh. uh, you know, so and you know we get heat from from them. You know, like hey man, you too good. You, you want to let us ride or whatever. You know, it ain't bad. It's just. You know, we we got our own, just him and I together, and, and we, you know, we know we're not going to get pulled over and get busted for something, you know? Right. Yeah. Could trust each other. <laughs> we could trust each other. We knew, we knew neither one of us had any bad habits, so we were safe. Yeah. You couldn't say that. Well, you couldn't say that with probably the rest of the whole crew, almost. Yeah. How much, how much did, uh, slick add to, uh, your success? What, as far as, you know, having him as, as your mouthpiece, as they call him, uh, Oh, well, I think, you know, uh, on the microphone wise, he was, he was probably right up there with any of them. He never really got the, I don't think he really got the uh, amount of recognition that he deserved, you know, cause I went to Jimmy Hart or Bobby Heenan or whoever, yeah. but, I think Slick was right up there with the best of them, you know. For whatever reason, he never got to manage any champions or anything like that. That I, like I said, that went to Jimmy or Bobby or somebody else. Fuji. Uh, I don't. I don't know what the deal was. You know what it was with Slick. Uh, I'm not. You know, I really don't know. So, but you know, I I was happy with it myself. I didn't have trouble with it. So. Yeah. 
So let's uh, let's talk about when they they made that change to uh, Akeem. How did that? Um, how did you first get wind of that? That uh, they were going to have you become this uh, character that, you know, as as the lore goes, it was to uh, basically make fun of Dusty Rhodes. Um, but uh, when did you first hear about that? That that was something they were planning on doing, and and why do you think they did it? Well, uh, I first, you know, we, I was first told about it early, uh, I think it was early August of 1988. Yeah. Uh, it was at a TV taping, and uh, Slick had come over, well, I think Vince or Slick, one of Slick had come over and said something, uh, said something about, you know, said something to me, I really wasn't paying much attention, you know. Then I think Vince came by and asked me if I could dance. And I was like, you know, I'm like, can I dance? I don't understand. He goes, well, you need to learn to dance. And I said, no, I can't dance. Well, Slick can teach you. You know, and he walked off. And then Slick come back over a little while, you know, a little while later and came to me and said, man, you ain't going to believe what's going to happen. And I was like, well, what's going to happen? They come up, with, you know, they come up with this idea. They're going to make you a, a black man. I was like, what? I was, I was like, in, incredible. I was like, are you crazy? Yeah. He goes, no, I'm serious. They got this idea. They're going to make you a black man that, you know, I went to Africa and found your roots and you're, you're Akeem. You're, you're going to be Akeem, you know, a black man. That, you know, I was like, oh, man, you got to be, you, you got to be crazy. I didn't believe it. I thought he was joking with me. Yeah. So he said, no, come on with me. So he took me to uh, Vince's office. He always had that little private office area. So, you know, we waited our turn after about <laughs> 10 guys had been in and out, you know. Uh, every TV, you know, that's how it was. They lined up to have meetings with him. Right. So uh, we finally went in there, you know, and he, he said, uh, you know, tell him, uh, would you tell him about this idea? And sure enough, he told me the idea. Yeah, we got the idea. This is what we're going to do. I, I explained it, laid it all out. Uh, so we got, we got the, uh, outfit, gonna have the outfit designed, you know, specially made for you and this and that. And, and that was basically it. And then, you know, about a week or so later, they called me up and said, you know, we're going to fly you to New York to, uh, some kind of, uh, shop there in New York that does costumes. And I went and I flew up there and they took all the measurements and had the drawings for the Akeem outfit and all that. So. I went up there and they pretty much, uh, you know, measured me and, and knew what they had to make and made it and it was sent to me. And then uh, about a couple of weeks later, uh, I showed up at TV and it was going to be my debut as Akeem. <laughs> That's how I went. Yeah. Well, did you feel at the That's time? Crazy. I mean, That's crazy, ain't it? Yeah, it's, it's it's wild, but were you thinking at the I mean, time? You, you, know, take, you take probably the your biggest, meanest hero you got in the company. You know, that you've let do the craziest stuff on TV. I was one of the few heroes that could throw referees and let me, you know, I, I was actually getting to hit referees and all kind of crazy stuff, you know, because none of the talent ever got to touch referees. <laughs> I was probably, you know, like I said, one of the craziest heroes he had on his roster, and then all of a sudden they switch, you know, we're going to make you Akeem, you're going to do this crazy stuff. <laughs> it was just, I, you know, but, you know, in the long run it worked out okay, but. At the time, I'm thinking this is this is like the you know it's the end of my career. <laughs> yeah, I mean, did you feel like they were punishing you? I mean, the, like you said, the one man gang was was over. Uh, uh, did you feel like it was waning, or 
you know, we in a sense. We've well, well, you know, I was I was explained that you know he felt the one man gang was just too black and white. He needed a character with a lot of color, a lot of uh, flash and pizzazz, and uh, and so they came up with Akeem, the African Dream, and it never was a play off of Dusty Rhodes because Dusty came into the territory anyway. Yeah. So why would I be, you know, I wasn't making fun of Dusty. He came in with the, then they put him in the polka dots. Yeah. Give him the, give him Sapphire, the black uh, lady was as his manager. And him and I even worked matches against each other. Me as Akeem and him as Dusty, you know, we'd have, we'd have dance offs and crazy junk like that. So it was the, the idea. I believe it was just to, to have his own character, his own uh, trademark on it, you know, and, and that way, you know, he'd make uh, you know can make some more uh, little action figures or whatever out of it, which he did, you know. Yeah. So. Well, like you said, it worked out, but at the time, you must have been thinking, like, what the hell? And, oh yeah, and, and, I, and, I, I hated it. I hated yeah. the idea of it. I was like, this is this is ridiculous. I mean, because I, I asked him, I said, well, how is I, how is one man gang just going to show up at TV as I came? Well. Uh, people's going to be going like, what the heck happened to this guy? You know, and he goes, don't worry, we got it all figured out. And <laughs> we're going to do a, a a little video and explain, you know, what happened. So sure enough, they, they uh, you know, flew me up to New York, connected up in there, and, and me and Slick, and we had to do the little, you know, video of me changing from one-man gang to Akeem. They brought in all the the African dancers and things like that and had Mean Gene, like, on his back. Uh, his back uh, uh, road, you know, back little area back there, and had big can with the fire and all that, and dancing around it, <laughs> you know. And Mr. Slick was like, from now on, he would be known as Akeem, and blah blah blah, and and that was it, you know. I showed that on TV. Once that played, people pretty much uh, just took it as it was, you know. Yeah. It's strange how wrestling fans are, you know. Yeah. You just. You show one little video like that, and they just take it as it is. Oh, he's Akeem now. Okay. <laughs> it's crazy. Yeah, and, and did you look at it in a sense at that point? Because, uh, you know, you look at somebody like Dusty, and they gave him polka dots and, you know, didn't pair him with this beautiful diva-looking woman or anything. And yet, <laughs> he took it. No, but really, it seemed like he took it as a channel. Like, you know what? I'm going to make this work. I don't, you know, oh, no matter yeah, what sure, they're doing. Sure. They I had him, you know, picking up garbage, being a garbage man, a common man. I had him uh, cleaning toilets one time or something. Uh, but, you know, uh, you, you had to take it and make it work for you. That's, that's what professional wrestling is. And did you, you know, do the same whatever thing? you're given, you, you, you know, like, uh, you know, Terry Taylor was given a red rooster. He didn't want to be a red rooster, you know, and it didn't work for him. So, you know, but. I, I took Akeem, I, you know, and just took off with it. I said, heck, I'm just going to have crazy egg mac. Whatever comes to mind, I'm going to do it, you know. And that's when I started doing the goofy little hand movements and <laughs> things like that. And, you know, people started getting into it a little bit, you know. And, you know, and then the acting crazy in the ring and all that, which eventually got to be fun, you know, because one-man gang was so serious. I had to be serious all the time. They're like a big bully almost. And uh, Akeem could have fun in the ring, you know, whereas the one-man gang couldn't. So, after, you know, after once I got used to the character, it took me a good, you know, month or so. But once I finally got used to playing the character, it got to be pretty fun, really. Did Did you remember a point where you said, you know, this is getting over? <laughs> like, 
No, I never really looked at it that way. Yeah. I just, you know, I, I just, once I got the character nailed down and I thought it was good, that's what I stayed with and then yeah. just went out there every night and just basically tried to keep having matches, you know, the best I could, best matches I could have, you know, for what I could do for, you know, so that was basically it. It wasn't no, uh, I didn't really look at it as like, well, this is getting over. I never, I never looked at anything I'd ever did that said that. I never even thought about it. I just did it, and, you know, and if it, whatever happened, happened. I didn't like say, well, that match was really, you know, that's a six-star match, or, you know, like people do nowadays. I'm like, I just went out there, did my job, and, and moved on to the next night. You know, I love what I was doing, but I, I never really thought of it in that way, you know. Yeah. Did you ever, uh, you know, you were, you were involved in some really big matches and, and, uh, some of these WrestleManias, um, was there a point where you just said, or you could look back down and say, you know, that was, that was, that was a big deal. I mean, I was, uh, working, you know, with the best of the best, uh, in the, in the dub, in the world, really. I mean, there was nobody better, uh, you know, with people you worked with, uh, you know, Bubba with B- a big boss man and Hulk Hogan and, you know, Randy, you mentioned, but did you ever, was there a point when you, uh, took it in and said, you know, th- this is, this is a big deal. I'm, I'm, I'm here. No, never, I never did that. <laughs> Why did I know you were going to say that, George? <laughs> I'm not, well, I just never did. It was just, yeah. each night was just another night. I just walked out there, whoever I happened to be against, whether it was Randy or if it was against Hogan for yeah. the world title or anybody else, it was just another match. I wanted to have a, try to give the fans a good, good match and try Keep Pudo, I was working safe, you know. Of course, I didn't want to hurt the world champion, so yeah. I had to make sure I kept them, kept him safe, whoever that happened to be, and or anybody for that matter, whoever it was. I wanted to keep them safe, keep myself safe, and go out there and try to entertain the people the best I could, and move on to the next night, pull another ticket off the ticket stub, and uh, uh, I only got twenty more tickets to go, and then I can go home. <laughs> uh, that's the way it was, huh? That's, that's for me. I can't speak for everybody, but yeah. for me, you know, it was a, it was just a routine. It got so routine to be on the road, on the road every night. It was just every day. It was just horrible to me. It just got so sickening. I couldn't stand it. Yeah. It's like, oh man, I gotta go again. Here we go, another forty days in a row. I mean, you got to think, you think thirty, forty days in a row, you know. And then then we started doing doubles too. Also, you know, they started renting private planes for us. Yeah. We'd do a matinee show, and then we'd run to the little local airport, and then we'd jump on a plane that, that Vince had rented and fly us to a nighttime show. So I mean, you got to think, we're going seven days, and then on Saturday we'd be doing a double, or on Sunday they would do a double. Uh-huh. That's just insane, isn't it? Yeah, a lot of people don't really uh, understand what it was like back then. It's They certainly have don't have to do that today. But, you know, folks, this is how they made their money. Everything was based on house shows and those gates, and they were doing a ton of shows. I know because I was in the event center announcing all of them, and just I, I remember thinking back, like, how in the world are these guys, you know, are, are they able to do all this? And especially someone your size, it had to physically take a pretty big toll on you as well, didn't it? Oh, it was horrible. Yeah. Like I said before, it was planes and things were just horrible on me any of us big guys yeah it just killed us you know because you just didn't have any leg room you couldn't move in the back of them planes sometimes it was just 
miserable to everything, getting up at, you know, usually they would always book us on them early flights, you know, so at 6 a.m. Yeah. we're at the airport. Yeah, I mean, it wasn't quite as bad checking in as it is nowadays, but it was still just, you know, just still bad, you know. You get there, you check in, uh, get to your gate, get on a plane all squashed up usually, fly to a city, get off the plane, get a rental car, uh, get to a hotel, or try to get some food. If you're a gym person, get to a gym to work out, go to the arena, wrestle, get out, get out of the arena, whatever time that was. Hopefully you can find a restaurant that's open or whatever, you know, and do it all over again the next day. So yeah. <laughs> that's the way it was. But, you know, yeah, you just did it. You just went ahead and did it because you knew this was your livelihood. This is what you did. Yeah. You know, this, this was your job. Just like a doctor gets up every day and goes to a hospital. We would get up every day and go to a different city. That was our job. Did you realize how well-known you were, though? To, how did you deal with the, with the fame? I had no idea. I didn't, like I said before, I didn't even realize the TV was, you know, millions of people are watching this. I, I didn't have any idea at all. You know, I mean, it's just, it's just crazy. I don't, you know, it's, it's hard <laughs> to explain when you're doing it. Yeah. It's like you're in the middle of a forest and you can't see what's going on because all the trees around you, you know, yeah. you just, you're there doing it, but you don't realize what's really happening, you know, with the TVs and, and pay-per-views, I'm not thinking, you know, man, there's like, uh, you know, 4 million people watching a pay-per-view. I'm wow. not, that's not even crossing my mind when I'm out there in the ring. Uh, <laughs> it's just insane, I know, but like WrestleMania, so it didn't even cross my mind, this is WrestleMania. Yeah. It's just, to me, it was just another, you know, I, I, you knew it was WrestleMania, but it, it was just another town on the, uh, on the, on the tour, you know, it was, yeah, it's yeah. WrestleMania, but, it's just another town on the tour, you know. It just wasn't, it wasn't quite as, you know, as big a deal as it is nowadays. How they build it up like, you know, the big extravaganza. But you know, because you know, we did it uh, first two hours out. I think it was Trump Plaza or whatever it was down in Atlantic City, and you know, it was only like, I mean, I think the sellout was seventeen thousand people. Shoot, that was nothing, seventeen thousand. Heck, we'd go to the garden and sell out. It'd be twenty-five thousand, you know. So here we are, yeah. WrestleMania. But I'm not thinking of. I'm thinking of the house. I'm not thinking of pay-per-view doing. Uh, you know, maybe three million people watching the pay-per-view. <laughs> yeah. Well, I imagine George, you'd, you'd you'd handle it the same way today, even if you were involved, because it it just doesn't mean that much to you as far as uh, you know fame uh, or what it. Uh, it, it means. Oh yeah, I didn't mean that. Uh, I didn't fame-wise. I didn't, you know. I didn't get, I was just who I was. Once I left the arena, I was just, you know, regular George. And well, until I actually got in my costume, was headed to the ring, that's who I became. I became my other character. Once I left the arena, I was just my regular person again. I was just, you know, I was just where I've always been. Yeah. Who were some Don't of the guys? guys can't do this. Yeah. Were, were there uh, certain guys that you really like to work with in the ring? The guys that, uh, uh, well, yeah, I, I mean, I enjoy it. I did like working with Savage, but it was just hard to keep up with his pace. Right. I like working with Hogan. Hogan was really easy. It was basically once you got a pat match, say once you got a say a fifteen to twenty minute match, and it was you know, and he liked everything that was in the match. It was the same match you carried all the whole circuit. Yeah. So that was easy, you know. Uh, uh, I, some guys that wasn't easy was. George Steele wasn't, he wasn't the easiest person to work with. 
<laughs> uh, junkyard dog. He wasn't the easiest person to work with because yeah. he just kind of he, he really wasn't that mobile. He kind of stayed in one place. You had to work around him, you know. So yeah. that wasn't the easiest uh, matches in the world. Uh, see who else? Uh, Hogan and Savage was easy. Uh, yeah. Warrior, Ultimate yeah. Warrior was. Uh, I ain't gonna say it was easy, but. You know, because he's kind of crazy out there. You never really knew what he was going to do. So, <laughs> what does he do next? <laughs> I mean, you just basically, you know, you stood at me, he clotheslined you or something. Yeah. You just didn't really know what was going to happen. But match wise, I never had no problems with him. Or with him, like some guys say they did. I never, never had no problem with him. You know, so yeah. I guess it was easy. I, you know, most of my matches were pretty easy. I didn't really have too much trouble with anybody, to be honest. I never went out there, you know, like I said, I tried to take care of everybody. They took care of me. Never really had no qualms about putting anybody over. If they said, well, we, we need to put uh, Hillbilly Jim over or whatever. I didn't care. I'd go out there and put him over. Uh, yeah. They had me put Coco Beware over right in the middle with a, you know, one, two, three. I didn't care. You yeah. know, I was, uh, you know, I'm six foot ten, you know, and he's, you know, well, you know, he's, I didn't care, you know. I said, how do you want to do it? What's his finish? You know, so yeah, I never really had no problem with that. I know a lot of guys, you know, I hear stories about, you know, guys don't want to put this guy over. They didn't want to wrestle this guy or whatever. Yeah. I was I was never that way. I just, whatever it was, I went out there, whatever they told me to do. Uh, one night they said, we need to get Bam Bam Bigelow over, but you, know, you only got about one minute to do it. So I said, that's fine. We'll do it. I went yeah. out there, and sure enough, and you know, in about forty-five seconds to a minute, I put him over right in the middle. That's what they wanted, so you know, that's what I went and did. Yeah. Yeah, by the time the people do. leave the building, by the time the people watch the rest of the show and leave the building, they ain't going to know what happened. They don't know. You know, you would you would leave. Uh, I don't know. It towards I think in uh, the end of ninety. Uh, did it just get to be too much? When did? You decide that, it, or, or I don't know if they were a part of this as well, but that it was it was time to go. No, they didn't have anything at all to do with that. That was all on me. Yeah, uh, yeah it was just like I said, it was just getting to be too way too much on me. They took Slick off the road, except for TVs. You know, I was by myself on the road, oh. so I was, uh, you know, all all expenses was coming out of my pocket. Now didn't have nobody to split anything with, so. It got to be real expensive in a hurry out there, you know, when you're by, by yourself. And, uh, I, I mean, I traveled a little bit with some guys. You know, I traveled with Demolition a little bit, but most of the time I was just by myself. And uh, I just, it got to be just too expensive. It got to just be too much a strain on my home life. So after one of the, I don't remember what tour, but after one of the tours, we went home. Had a little three-day off, you know, and I said, man, I can't get back on another plane. I, it's just, you know, I just can't do it. I, I didn't even want to go to the airport. Uh-huh. And uh, so, so I just didn't make the, you know, I didn't make my flight. And they called me up, sure enough, called me up. And, you know, and Pat Patterson uh, was on the phone and asked me what the problem was. And I said, well, Pat, man, I just can't do it no more. I'm burned out. I'm beat, you know, I'm beat up. I'm burned out. I just can't get on another airplane. And he said, okay, I'll tell Vince. About another day went by, and then he calls back, Pat Patterson, and says, uh, Vince, we want to know if you, you know, would you speak with him? And I'm like, sure, I'll talk to Vince. 
So Vince gets on the telephone, you know, he goes, George, what's the problem? And I explain, I said, Vince, man, I'm paying all these bills and it's coming out of my pocket and my payoffs hadn't been too great, you know, right now. And, you know, because, you know, like you said, if, you, if you're, say you're on opening match, you know, nothing against your boot gym or anybody else, but yeah. if you're on opening match, you're not getting, you're not getting great money compared to, say, if you're in the main event, you know what I'm saying? Right. So it wouldn't like contract deals for most of us, I mean, it was wherever you were at on the card and getting, you know, you got paid according to that and off the houses, you know, and, and man, I, we, I've been in, you know, a lot of places we've been to wasn't doing that well. Yeah. Uh, like, uh, we go to Minot, North Dakota in a 15,000 seat Coliseum, there might be a thousand people there, you know? So, you yeah. know, you got to get payoff off of that. So my checks were like horribly bad compared to, you know, what it had been. So I just explained to him, and he goes, well, you know, we had some things lined up. We got, uh, uh, I don't know what it was coming up. It was Survivor Series or whatever it was. And, uh, you know, we got some things. I know I've had you on the back burner for a long time, but, you know, I, I was fixing to take you off and get you heated up. I said, I mean, you know, I said, you know, I appreciate you saying that. Well, we'd already, I didn't tell him, but we'd already had his talk a couple times face-to-face, and he said the same thing, you know. Mm. Yeah. And it never got better. So yeah. I just told him, I said, Vince, I'm just beat up. I'm tired. I just can't get on another airplane. And, you know, I'm squashed up in the back. It's killing me. Yeah. And, you know, and he's like, well, George, you know, this is bad business. And I said, uh, yeah, I know it's bad business and all that. And I apologize, but I just can't do it anymore, you know. And, and he goes, okay, you sure this is the way you want it? And I said, yeah, it's the way, I'm, the way it's going to have to be. And, he said, okay, we hung up the telephone, and, and basically that was it. I know we went back to tour about uh, probably a couple of, maybe a month later, Pat Patterson calls me, and a telephone is Pat Patterson. said, uh, George, we have a tour going to Japan, and Vince wanted to know if you would be interested in making the tour. He wants you to go to Japan as Akeem, you know, and work against Hogan. And I, I just said, no, man, I said, Pat, I just can't, you know, I just can't do it, Pat, man. I'm just, uh, I don't want to get on any more flights. Uh-huh. And he goes, well, you know, they offered, then he gave me the money. Uh, you know, he said, well, Vince is going to pay, uh, you know, at the time he said $8,000. He said, we're going to pay $8,000 just for, you know, like a two-day little tour over there and back. I said, no, I appreciate the, you know, I appreciate the money. It's nothing with that. I just. I just cannot do it, Pat. I'm tired and beat up, and I want to spend time with my family. He goes, okay, this is, uh, you know, this is Vince is uh, trying to get you back in. This is the way to do it. If you take this tour, he'll take you back in the company, no questions asked, you know. And I said, well, I appreciate that very much, but I just can't do it. And I, we just hung up the phone, and that was it. Uh-huh. Never heard anything else from him. <laughs> uh, well. That was, my, that was the end of my World Wrestling Federation days. Yeah. Do you look back and say, uh, I should have gone on that Japan tour? Or did you say, you know what? I, uh, I made the right choice. You know, now, well, yeah, now I can say, you know, I can say, man, it'd be nice to have $8,000, you know, but at that particular time <laughs> yeah. when you got a, when you got a bank account, you know, uh, overflowing with money from yeah. three years, four years, you know, working there, yeah. you know, you look and get well, that's $8,000. I ain't, you know, <laughs> right. yeah. Those are big but it was just the thing. I just wanted to spend time with my family too, man. It was been, you know, my son was like five, six years old, you know, and I hadn't spent no time with him. And uh, all I was seeing was video 
you know, videos of him doing things from, you know, kindergarten and whatever else, you know, I didn't, I didn't get to do anything those first uh, six years. Yeah. Just, so is, is that know, what you yeah. did? Is that what you did for those? Uh, well, I don't know if uh, you did a little bit with WCW, but um, is that what you did? You just stayed home for those years? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I just we just did family stuff. We went to took a trip uh, to Disney World, things like that. You know, and just did family stuff. I just stayed home. You know, and just spent time spent time with the family. That was that was it. I didn't do any any independence or anything at that particular time. And then uh, and uh, Dusty called me, you know, from uh, WCW and offered me a deal down there. And uh, you know, by then I'd kind of you know I'd kind of got got the home thing over with, and I said, sure, I'll take it. And so I went I went to WCW for Dusty and worked down there. Well, that was guaranteed money, though, right? Well, I had to go down there. I mean, you had to go to, you know, you had to work in Atlanta and all the towns that they go to, but I was guaranteed. It wasn't there. We weren't getting you off, uh, you know, whatever the house is or where you're located on the card. I was guaranteed money for sure. Yeah. And was it big money but, to you at the time? Uh, not really. I mean, uh, I mean, I was making, uh, my, my guarantee was uh, $750 a night. $750 a night, no matter what the house was. There could be 10 people in the house. I'm still going to get my 750 a night. So you figure you're doing that seven nights a week, you know, and doubles on Saturday and sometimes doubles on Sundays. So, I mean, that's, you know, for me, that was plenty. That was plenty for me right there. Yeah, but didn't you see what these other guys are getting? I mean, uh, uh, that didn't seem to be. Well, this was uh, before the big contracts. This was yeah. before the. This was before the uh, contract deal with uh, with all them other guys. This was just this was when Dusty was running WCW, and then later on I did go back in when the with right. the contract deal, and I tried to get a contract with them. They wouldn't give me one. I was on nightly deal, uh, five hundred a night. The last time I was there this is when Bischoff and them guys were in there. Yeah, and uh, I had a, I worked Hogan in a, in a match in Las Vegas and put him over, you know, just basically a squash match. I put yeah. him over in the middle and all that. And then I went back to have a meeting with Bischoff and I, I just asked him, you know, uh, you know, I, is there any way you could, you know, put me on a contract so I could have guaranteed money like a lot of these guys have. And he, and, uh, he says, well, we don't, um, I don't think we do business that way. You know, and I said, well, you know, I got kind of hot about that. Because uh, cause everybody was on contracts. And he, I, I said, what do you mean you don't do business like that? You got guys on contracts, and some of these guys can't even lace up their wrestling boots. You know, I've been, I've been in the business for, you know, 20 years, and I just went out there and put your main man, uh, Hulk Hogan, over right in the middle with a leg drop. I didn't complain. I didn't say anything at all. I mean, I could have beat the guy if I wanted to, but I go out there and do business proper, but you want, yeah. you know, you can't you can't take care of me on a contract, you know? And he's like, well, uh, he got all kind of blowed up about it. And uh, he said, well, I'll talk to Kevin Sullivan about it. And, you know, we'll get back to you. Well, then getting back to me was not booking me anymore. And basically I got fired. That was it. Hey, mm. <laughs> I mean, it's just crazy. Yeah. Well, what a, what yeah, a right. guy said, this is just, guy said, this is just too much, man. This is, this one wrestling started getting too political, you know, like who, you know, you know, if you're in the right clique or whatever it is, you know, who's at, who's behind your kissing or whatever. And I just, I wasn't that way. And then it was, you know, I was kind of a loner. I kind of stuck to myself. And 
and he just couldn't be that way anymore. So I just kind of said, this is pretty much it for me. I kind of, I got out, then I started doing independence, indie shows, you know, all over wherever, wherever I could get them. And, and, uh, that gave me a lot more freedom. You know, I could take bookings when I wanted them. And then, and finally it just got to be, you know, fighting independent guys, you know, like, man, the house wasn't so great tonight. I can't afford to pay you this or whatever. It just got crazy. You know, I said, man, this is just too much. And then finally somebody said, oh, you know, I was looking for a regular type civilian job and somebody said well you know they they're always hiring at the state penitentiary in louisiana i said really i said yeah put your application in so i got an application i put it in and sure enough uh i got hired at the state penitentiary uh right here in uh, outside of baton rouge and that's where i went i started working there and that's where i went for you know i went there for 10 years that's i just really? disappeared and went there and worked there as a civilian job for 10 years working for the state did you enjoy well, it? Never, uh, never went back to wrestling. Yeah, but is that? Did I enjoy the job? Yeah. I'm, oh yeah, yeah. The job was good. It wasn't nothing to it. It was just you know watching over some inmates, and <laughs> you know you had all the benefits. You had all the state yeah. benefits. You know uh, stuff I'd never had before, insurance and all kind of crazy stuff like that. Wow. And did they know who you were? Was that? Of course. Oh yeah. yeah. Oh yeah. No doubt. No. Yeah. I wouldn't no doubt about that from the first day I went to the uh, training academy, I mean, even before that, even when I went up there just to do my initial interview, they knew who I was, so, <laughs> you know, there's no hiding that at all. Did that that help you, or was it uh, when, when uh, you, with the inmates that you dealt with, it, that was at a... Uh, oh, yeah, that was 100% more help, you know. I'm sure you had a lot of wrestling fans. Oh, yeah, 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 100% more help, even with the... Uh, the the people at the prison themselves actually getting the job and being taken care of that way, just being, you know, who I was and, you know, what I've done through my career was just a, a whole, whole bunch of help. Mm-hmm. So, you know, at least, at least wrestling helped me that way. Well, it seems like it's helped you no, a, lot, no. a lot of the way. Yeah. Uh, you had a, you had a, a heart attack, what, in 2000, but, and that you were still right, working. right, exactly. Yep, I had a heart attack. Uh, it was 1999 or so. Right, it, uh, I was actually had it in, in the ring. I didn't know I was having one. It was in Shreveport. I was doing an independent show and started having uh, chest pains and things like that. I, I had no idea. I didn't. I, heart attack didn't cross my mind. So my uh-huh. wife was driving us home. I was real. I got real sick on the way home, and she saw a hospital sign and said, "I'm gonna take you to the hospital." So. She took me to this little hospital there, and uh, they drew blood and said, you're having a heart attack. So Jeez. that was it, basically. <laughs> I know. They said, usually it killed. You know, if you hadn't come in right then, you probably wouldn't have made it. So Wow. Luckily, everything. Uh, yeah, luckily, you know, right then, and then uh, they, I went. They, they kept me there a few days. Then they shipped me back to Shreveport, to a big hospital, LSU hospital there. I stayed there. They did the angio, what you, angiogram thing where they run the little tube up to your groin. They can look at, you know, check and see if you're blocked or whatever it is. I don't know. But anyway, it's still a 75% blockage. They don't really do too much medicine for that. So they sent me home. A year later, I started getting the same symptoms. Almost a year later, and we ran to the emergency room. I was, luckily, I was here in Baton Rouge. 
ran to the emergency room and uh, they did the same, you know, test. And this time it was like 99% blockage. Mm. So they ballooned it open and put a stent in the uh, main artery, Widowmaker artery, whatever they call it. Yeah. The doctor said, you know, it's, it's amazing you survived. Most people would have killed over dead with this. And luckily, I survived. And, you know, since then, they've put me on, you know, I, I take about eight different medicines every morning. But since mm-hmm. then, you know, I've, you know, everything's been good. So, yeah. Well, you got Mary yeah. running things. So that takes care. That, uh, yeah, yeah, running. that's it. That's, <laughs> uh, that's the main thing. So, <laughs> You know, now now all I do is just go and, you know, if I can give me a little signing here and there, you know, and go meet some wrestling fans, that's about all I do now that I can do, you know. And that, even those are hard to do because, man, it's Emerald. Well, you do that one in New Orleans, you know, at our tables down there, and it's yeah. a long days to, to, you know, stand there and meet fans all day long. That makes for a long day, too. Well, also the, it's the, fun. The I enjoy meeting them, but, man, it, it's rough on my feet and knees, that's for sure. Yeah, are you, uh, and of course, I think the WWE Network has helped with this, but are you still amazed um, just how much people love that period of time when, uh, you know, and to their, and in many of their, uh, their eyes, uh, you know, it was the best of times in, in the world of professional wrestling? Oh, yeah, it, it, I'm totally amazed at that. I mean, I get so many people come up to the tables and, yeah. Yeah, I remember when you did this and you did that. And then, uh, I mean, people from all over the world, not just the United States. I mean, I've had people stop by the tables from you know, Germany and Japan, Australia, New Zealand. I mean, from uh, just about anywhere in the world, they, they come by in tables. And, man, I, you know, I loved Akeem. I loved this for that. Uh, yeah, it, it is amazing, you know. And I, I know the, the network, you know, has a lot to do with it, you know, but. Yeah. It's, still, it's still amazing me even so, you know, you got all these, you know, mega stars at these signings and people will take their time to stop, you know, you know, at my little table section there and want to speak to me, you know, I'm like, wow, that's, uh, that's, that's just something, you know, I never, <laughs> when I was doing it, I never thought that 30 years down the line, that it would be that way, you know, it's just amazing to me. Yeah, and uh, you you kind of touched on it, but and I know it was not it's not an easy life. It really isn't. People to really understand the cost of uh, of that life, and and uh, you know it certainly brings you a lot of reward uh, financially, and of course being uh, you know recognized as among the best in the world to, to uh, in in that sports entertainment uh, realm. Uh, but uh, looking back, though, it it must you must say, man, what a, it was just it was what a hell of a ride it, it was. Uh, and, <laughs> you know, yeah, you ain't. I know. I mean, I look back and go, man, where did time go to? That's the main yeah. thing I say is like, you know, thirty. You know, uh, I went to Canada to Hamilton, Ontario, to celebrate the thirtieth anniversary of the uh, first Royal Rumble, the live TV Royal Rumble. Yeah. They did the first one, and uh, me and Duggan was the last two in the ring, and Duggan pulled the top rope, and I went over, and Duggan won the actual <laughs> first live TV war yeah. on this before it became a pay-per-view, you know? Yeah. So, I mean, we went up there to celebrate that. They, you know, all, Duggan was there, I was there, Nikolai, and uh Bees was up there, and things like that. So I'm like, 30 years, golly. Yeah. Uh, I mean, it's just like, what are the, you know, you just think, man, 30 years don't went by that quick. It's just crazy. Yeah. You know? 
Yeah. It's just amazing that even the, it's just amazing the fans even remember that, you know, 30 years ago they had a Royal Rumble. That's, that was another thing. Everything. It was just amazing. Yeah, they I know. Everything. It's, it's yeah. just, it's, it's, it's really, it really, really amazes me. I, I just can't, uh, you know, you can't even put it in the words how, how wrestling fans are, how they never forget things. They get, they'll tell me things about, hey, I'm, you took a picture with me at this place, or, and uh, I remember this match, you did this and that, or you pointed to me and yelled something, and you yelled this at me, and I'm like, man, I don't even remember having the, you know, being at that place, but, yeah. and sure enough, they remembered. I met you in the airport, you was going through the airport, and you stopped and said hello to me. I'm like, wow, that's yeah. just crazy. Well, and you know, George, yeah, I, I, a, I, I, go ahead. It's just amazing the smallest little thing you you know from years and years ago you do something that small that you know just saying hello to somebody and they you know all these years later twenty years later they they pull it back up and 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 still remember that you know it's just amazing. Yeah, and I you know George I, I covered a lot of sports during my career. I mean I've I've covered the NFL, covered Major League Baseball, and uh, NBA. And I'll tell you, really, never, ever, none of the the fans that are, and, and certainly they're uh, rabid fans with those sports, but nothing compares to the loyalty and the affection that people have, uh, these that professional wrestling fans have. It, it, and it, it never ceases to amaze me. I don't get out that much to these events, but when I do, I really, I'm absolutely blown away. And uh, they really oh, are. Oh, yeah, me too. Fans I'm just saying, every, every time I go to one, it's just a, yeah. uh, I'm I'm like you. I'm blown away. I'm just like God. It's it's just uh, you can't even explain. I can't explain it. You know, some guys may take it for granted, but man, I'm like I mean, honestly, it really you know to meet the people and and hear their stories and be able to actually interact with them. You know, as a one-on-one person now, it's like I, I really do enjoy that. You know, when I go to these signings, you know, just to hear their stories and. And some of them are so, you know, they'll come up to the table and they're like really nervous, you know, they like shaking almost sometimes. Yeah. Yeah. I'm like, yeah, you ain't got to be so nervous. Just calm down. I'm just a regular yeah. person like you are, you know, you try to make them feel comfortable, but it's, it's just, it, it really is crazy. Yeah. Well, you know, and George, you, you talk about it, but I, you know, I remember back, uh, when things were really, uh, moving in the WWF, you were at the peak of fame and you were as uh, the same humble guy as you are today. Uh, you really haven't changed. And it was such a, a, a pleasure to run into you in New Orleans uh, and meet uh, Mary. And I hope our paths cross again sometime soon. Um, there's a lot of folks that are listening, and they'd love to get in touch with you and other people that would love to invite you to their promotions they're doing. What is the best way for people to get a hold of you? Do you have a, a website, or or how can they... Uh, get in touch with you guys. Uh, well, you know, I'm not, I, I don't really do too much on that social media thing. I do have a, a Facebook page. I kind of check into every once in a while, just under my real name, George Gray. So, you know, you go to it and you see a picture of uh, one man gang, Akeem and my regular looking face. And, and that's, that's the real, you know, Facebook page. I actually get on there and I'll answer questions and, you know, back and forth with fans or whatever, you know, so I'm not one of those that, have somebody that does it for him. I actually get on there and do it myself. So yeah. Uh, and then also, for uh, me. <laughs> I said, as far as booking, I think, uh, Mary manages all that, right? 
Yeah, yeah. She pretty much, you know, she she talks to most of the yes. promoters about any kind of signings or anything. I don't, I don't really like talking to them too much. Yeah. She's, she's know, awesome. That's just not that's not my forte. I'm not a yeah. I'm not a business type person that way. So she she does all that for me. And once it's all done and set up, you know, then you know I do. Once I get there, I do the rest by meeting yeah. and greeting and you know having a good old time then. But. But, uh, yeah, yeah, I mean, uh, when we were down in New Orleans, we was doing that one, and I was sitting down there on my hand at my table, you know, and I, so I was beside, you see, was, uh, oh, Tugboat was beside me, and I asked yeah. Tugboat, I said, I said, well, who's the guy with the glasses on down there? I was pointing to you. Yeah. And he told me, he said, that's Sean Mooney. And I said, what, really? And I, that's when I walked over. Yeah. I had no idea it was you. I didn't. I had no idea. <laughs> yeah, we've all changed a bit, but you... Uh, and, and Fred's become, uh, I've gotten to be a good, very close friends with Fred. We've done, uh, a few things together and he's an awesome guy too. And it, it is, it's so much um, fun. And he can't no better than Tugboat. He's super good. Yeah, he really All is. the people at our little table were super, man. All, uh, Coco, all of them, Nikolai, everybody was really great there. Yeah. And, you know, and, and sometimes the wrestling business is not the, the greatest business in the world, but there really are some, with, with some tremendous people that, uh, we had the chance of being around uh, during that time, and it's really it's fun to see him again. And uh, like I said, oh, I yeah, that's, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's one of the you know when I go to a signing, that's another big positive thing. I always you know like it a signing. You meet guys you hadn't uh, seen in years and years and years. You know, it's almost like a reunion. You know, and yeah. just, even if you don't really sit down and have a, a lengthy talk, just to know that they're still around, you can. Go and shake your hand, you know, and say hello. You know, just that's a nice thing to do. Yeah. Well, George, it's been an absolute pleasure. Like I said, I really, I hope we run into each other again soon. Please stay healthy and uh, take care and say hi to Mary for me. I sure will. Uh, I think, I think, uh, didn't you just, I think you told me that we may see each other in November at the Russell Cade. Is that yeah, it? Russell Con? Yeah, Russell K. Yeah, I think I think we may see each other up there. Well, all right. It's so, a date. It's awesome. <laughs> all right. I'll be looking forward to it. All right, my man. Take care. Uh, you also. You take care of yourself. Great talking to you, and I appreciate you having me on. All right, we're going to wrap this one up pretty quickly. I hope you enjoyed the conversation with George Gray, uh, also known as Oh One Man Gang, and of course Akeem, the African Dream. Uh, that guy uh, remained the same guy throughout his career. He was—he's always been a simple man. I, I met him uh, when I was in New Orleans, and his wife Mary, a really nice person, and they live a real simple life. And uh, he really—he's—he's—he's he's, he's the same. I hope his health uh, stays uh, at a very good place. He had a heart attack back in 2000, so he, he tries to take care of himself. But, you know, you're a big guy like that. It's very difficult, but um, uh, he's doing well. And I want to thank one-man gang, George Gray, for coming on the program. Uh, we're still working on, uh, as we keep closing in on StarCast, it's, it's amazing. I mean, when I first talked with Conrad about this, Conrad Thompson, it was months and months and months ago. He says, hey, would you be interested in getting involved in this? I'm like, yeah, sure, I'm in. <laughs> I had no idea how it was going to blow up the way it has and uh, maybe some of you have gotten tickets to be there. Uh, of course, the all-in event with Cody and, and the rest of the gang, that's going to be a tremendous event. But then also the StarCast event taking place surrounding that, 
you know, all beginning that uh, week before September 1st of that weekend is just going to be so much fun. So many great events taking place. And of course, we're going to be doing a live edition of Prime Time with Sean Mooney. And this is going to be, uh, you know, there's a a special uh, performance with this. Um, I guess you'd call it an encore performance in a sense, but this is going to be live and in person. Uh, Jim Johnston is going to join us, and uh, we're calling it Behind the Themes. And he's going to uh, really, he's going to get down and uh, tell you all about uh, how these these themes that you love so much and are so much a part of your your childhood growing up, and uh, even you know within the last few years, he was still uh, composing music for the WWE. So it is going to be a fascinating. Uh, afternoon. I hope that uh, you have a chance to be there live, but also Fight TV has got uh, Fight.TV is going to be doing, uh, you know, giving you the chance to catch it all. You know, there's all these other things going on, a roast of Bruce Pritchard and and uh, these uh, the death of WCW panel with Eric Bischoff and, you know, so many people. Every day they seem to be uh, adding more, more people to this, and uh, you can see it one way or the other. You can be there live in Chicago or you can catch it on Fight.TV, so check it out. We'll be talking a lot more about it. But in the meantime, folks, thanks for tuning in. We'll have another uh, guest that uh, I, I uh, believe you will enjoy the conversation. I hope uh, I don't think I've let you down yet. So yeah, it'll be another great conversation right here on Primetime with Sean Mooney. So that means I'm out. <laughs> <laughs>